0: All right, um, before we jump into our sermon in James chapter 4, I do want to tell you guys about a couple of things that are going on. There's one thing that's really exciting that's happening. I don't know if we've gotten to celebrate it or not. Um, This week, or last week, we actually did a soft open, but we actually are starting to have to open new rooms down in kids' ministry. We had to open another nursery, which is a pretty awesome thing. I'm really pumped about that. Um, Yeah, that's really cool. Y'all can, I see people in the back doing that. That's great. Um, That's a great thing. When we start seeing so many kids, we've got to open up more rooms. So I wanted to celebrate that, that with you guys. The other thing that's going on is next week we're making a change to our worship service, and I, I want you all to be aware of of that change because I don't want it to throw you for a curveball. Uh, let me tell you wh- what why we're doing it, and then I'll tell you what we're doing exactly. One of the things that we believe is that we believe giving is actually a part of worship. We, we don't believe it's just obligation. We don't believe it's just supposed to be something that's... Uh, ignored by the follower of Jesus, having a generous heart and giving is actually a part of how we worship. In the Bible, Paul gives instructions for the church as they gather together to bring what they're gonna give to that gathering. And so while we don't want it to be any kind of showy thing or anything like that, We do want to have intentional moments in our worship service that aren't manipulation or marketing, but are intended to create a moment we actually worship through giving. So starting next week, we're going to be removing the giving boxes in the back, and we're going to start passing the offering plate again. And and here's the goal for that. But the goal is not more money. The goal is more worship. I I want you all to hear that. The goal is more worship. And so I want to make sure that as that's happening, be patient with us as we're we might try different ways to make that intentional and on purpose to be a moment that we are worshiping through giving. Uh, we don't want to cross into a line of manipulation or anything like that, but we do want to worship God through giving. And so we're going to start, start that next week. So I didn't want you to walk in and be like, hey, where's the boxes and what's going on? Um, uh, if you grew up in church, you've definitely done this before. Um, so, But that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to constantly be asking the question, how can we... W- how, when we gather, can we worship God more and more and more? And that's one of the things that we've been looking at for the last couple weeks and months and decided we need, we need, to, we need to make this part of our worship service. So um, that's all of my announcements. Um, so let me, we're going to be jumping into James chapter 4. So let me read these verses for us as we get ready to look at what we're going to be doing. Because we've been in James for a while now. But James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is what I want to read with you. Would you turn your Bibles there? These are our verses for today. Would you pray with me as we get ready to unpack that? Heavenly Father, I'm asking that you would give us ears to hear. God, I'm asking that we would hear what your spirit would say to us through your word. God, I'm asking you would help me to teach, and I'm going to be faithful to this, and I pray that you would use this in a way where you would be lifted up, and our hearts would be called to more and more love with you. God, I pray the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, I pray that good news would be proclaimed clearly here today. And God, I'm praying you would work in our hearts. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through James. James does not pull any punches in the book of James. You may have noticed that in those verses that we just read. There's a couple of doozies in there where he seems to be dropping some elbows on on the the church people that he is writing to. James is probably the first or the oldest New Testament book that we have. It is probably one of the first ones that's written. It's written to very early in the history of the church. And as James is writing to these people who are scattered around all over the place because of persecution, he's dealing with issue after issue after issue in the church, and he's dealing with it very directly. I mean, very directly. And one of the issues he's picking up on here that kind of is a little bit from the end of chapter 3 is James chapter 4 verse 1. He says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He, he's starting off this chapter right out of the gate. Well, I say right out of the gate. Near the end of the book, he's sitting here saying, listen, there's fighting that's happening among you. There, there's fighting and quarreling. The words for fighting and, and quarreling when used together in the Greek often here uh, have an idea of military conflict. If that doesn't describe a good old-fashioned church fight, I don't know what does, right? He's saying, listen, it's not just that there's some little spats going on. It feels like all-out war when y'all are getting together. Like church fights, they're aggressive, they're mean, they're nasty. Like what is causing all this fight, fighting among you? Now, now, if you've been in church for very long, you're not a stranger to church fights, right? Can we agree on that? All right. I got an amen on that one, so I'm pumped about that. I'm going to preach on that one a little bit longer. Uh, Listen, y'all are allowed to amen. You know that, right? You can amen and really it helps me know that I'm not talking to an empty room and y'all are staring at me like zombies. Um, Listen, you've seen some church fights. If you've been in church for a while, you've seen how brutal and painful and mean and harsh that can be. And, And some may be motivated out of good things, out of purity of doctrine or trying to do things in the right way there, there's certain things that in a church you have to stand up for but but there's other types of fights there's other types of fights that are motivated by other things and the issue that James is pointing at is whatever fights are happening in this church his concern is that what's at the root of this of this fighting is what he says there in verse one is it not this that your passions are at war within you. That word passions is the Greek word hedomites, the word we get hedonism from. Uh, The word means, uh, it's referring to sinful or self-indulgent pleasure. In other words, it's this. The thing that's driving the fights among you is you want something, you desire something, it's all about you and your experience and your desire. There's something that you want really, really, really bad, and that's what's causing all the fights among you. He actually says that this desire, this, this sinful passion, this self-indulgent pleasure that's happening to you, it's actually at war within you. I think that means it's internal. That within every single one of us, there is this war that is happening. There, there's these desires that happen inside of every single one of us. And and that's the thing that James is primarily seeking to address. The problem with this church is not the fighting. The problem with this church is self-seeking, self-absorbed living. You say that again. The problem is not the fighting. That's the fruit. The problem that James is going after is self-absorbed and self-consumed, selfish living within the church. If it was just fighting, then he would give us ways to communicate better. he say, listen, here's how you listen better. You repeat back to them, here's what they said was wrong with you. Then, then you avoid words like always and never. You don't name call it. He would give all these rules for how to communicate better. But the problem within the church was not poor communication. He didn't say, man, some of you just don't get it. And he didn't try to explain more the mission of the church. That's not where he went. He said it wasn't a mission issue that was causing the fighting. He said the issue that he is concerned about is the thing that's causing the fighting. It's selfishness. Just straight up, he gets, goes right after it. Isn't it this? You're selfish. Just think about that. Pastor calling you selfish in an email to the entire. I just want you to picture this church-wide email. Listen, I know there's some fights happening among our church. Let me tell you what's causing it. You all are selfish jerks. Send. That's what James. Nothing he said it nicer than that, obviously. Maybe. But he just sent a church-wide email saying so there's fighting going on. And let me tell you what's causing it. Your own selfish passions that are at war within you. I want to just take a moment and and think about that. I want us to think about our society and our culture and how it is feeding this type of selfishness and self-centeredness that's going on in us. Our entire culture is trying to find ways. Every business in the world is trying to market to you and I some type of pleasure that we want. Whether that's the pleasure for more money or more power or prestige or looking a certain way or sex or whatever it is, everything is sold to us and it's marketing something that you feel like you want and you need. I mean, even something as simple as a phone has an agenda that tries to elicit something inside your heart that says, I want that because if I get that, it will make me be this, whatever that is. There's some pleasure that we seek to get fulfilled. And our entire culture is is wrapped up in this it's so much so we actually have would call ourselves consumers we would say yeah yeah I'm a consumer we we proudly walk into a business and say when I walk into this business you should treat me a certain way I expect a certain level of service and i hear to be treated like the customer is always right we, we're used to having that type of stance and we walk into a place it should be all about us Every moment we're on our phones, marketing is constantly saying, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. Why don't you just get this because it'll be better for you. Every restaurant you go to, it's about you, it's about you. Every store you go to, it's about you. Every time you're having an online shopping experience, it's all about you and convenience. And, And the concern I have is this. What does it look like if that actually comes into the church? What does it look like for us as a church that when we show up to church, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. Well, what does it look like if what happens is the church begins to run around and constantly ask the question, how can I give you the experience that you want? I'm going to give it to you just like a Whopper. It's made your white way right away every single time. You walk in those doors and you order the type of experience you want, and we're going to do everything we can to cater to meet whatever felt needs you have, whatever experience you desire to have. Well, what does it look like that what's happening in our churches, we become totally self-consumed? And here's my concern on this. James is saying that there's possibly a war happening in you and I, not just in the church, but in our hearts. What does it look like if the church begins to feed that war? What does it look like if that thing in our hearts that is constantly screaming for a desire that we want? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you've had those moments or maybe you met Jesus and something happened in you that you had this desire that welled up. You wanted to know him and love him and hear from him. You had these moments where your heart burned to be with him. You couldn't wait to get in the Word. You couldn't wait to be with the people of God. And it wasn't what they gave you. You just wanted God and anything he had to offer you. He tasted so good and so pleasant that you loved getting to know him and be around him. There was something that burned in you. But at the same time as something would burn in our hearts to know God, there was some other desire that started screaming within us. Maybe it started as a whisper but I promise you it probably didn't stay that way very long. You started to notice there were other desires in your heart growing and longing and screaming and vying for our attention and our affection. And if we're honest, we, we feel this fight happening inside of us, this war that kind of happens. And it's, it's crazy because here's this kind and gracious God that showered you and I with tons of blessings, right? Right? Look, look at all the things. I just want you to think for a moment all the material blessings God has given you. All the money, all the resources. Think about all the comfort that he showered on every single one of us. He didn't do it out of spite, out of kindness and grace and mercy. He showed every single one of us tremendous amounts of blessing. And somehow in our hearts, some of our hearts have taken those blessings and we flipped it upside down. And, and instead of receiving as a blessing from God that causes worship and praise for him, instead of receiving it as a stewardship they're supposed to leverage and use for his name's sake, we received it and made it all about us. Listen, a guy named A.W. Tozer in a book, Pursuit of God, he said this, uh, sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God A potential source of ruin to the soul. Saying, listen, God's given us all these gifts, but there's this sin inside our heart. This desire that's inside of us has taken those gifts. And instead of taking them as gifts, we've turned them into a potential source that would ruin our very soul. Here's what I think is going on with James as he's saying there's this desire at war with, uh, with us. We have desires in our heart that are not all good. You and I are not supposed to follow our hearts. That's not God's plan. We're supposed to follow him and his spirit. We don't follow our hearts and our desires. What makes me happy? That is not the way of the Christian life. And that call that's inside of us to make it all about us, we need to be merciless. I mean, merciless with that voice in our hearts. And we need to kill it. We need to kill all of that sinful desire. We've got to work hard at it trying to kill all of those things that would scream at us, and it will not go quietly. If you've tried to have that fight, that moment you're trying to kill the wrong desires in you, you know that it doesn't go quietly, right? It puts up a fight. While I'm quoting A.W. Toes, let me quote something else he said in that book, The Pursuit of God. He said this, and we're talking about the sin in us. He must be extracted in agony and blood like a tooth from a jaw. He must be expelled from our soul by violence as Christ expelled the money changers from the temple. Here's the call for every single one of us as followers of Jesus. There is a war going on inside our hearts to make it all about us and our desires and our selfish, sinful pleasure seeking. And we must be brutal when it comes to killing that inside of us. We're not going to be light. Like, we can't be lackadaisical about it. We can't cuddle up next to it. We can't feed it a little bit. We must be merciless when it comes to that fight. There can be no sin that's allowed to scream and dominate us as followers of Jesus. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, I'm afraid that was, that's what happens in the church and as followers of Jesus. We've made it very normal for every single one of us to live our Christian life totally wrapped up in ourselves. And if you do that, if you and I live the Christian life in a way that is totally self-absorbed and selfish and self-centered, if we do that, I think James says some things are going to happen. Look at verse 2 of James chapter 4. He says this, this, is what he describes. You desire and do not have, so you murder. It's crazy. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Here's one of the things I think James says. If, if you live a self-centered Christian life, You're going to have a whole lot of conflict in the church, and it's not going to be nice, and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be nasty. He even says this word here. He says this phrase. that really threw me for a loop. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Think about what he's saying here. I wrestled with that word. Like, is James saying, is he saying, listen, here's how obsessed with yourself you are. Someone got in your way for whatever thing you wanted, whether that's the seat you wanted and someone took your seat at something, or there was the color of the carpet you didn't like, or the color on the walls, or a position that you want, whatever it is. I mean, we can pursue a million different things, but someone got in your way, and is James saying that what happened in the early churches, they actually murdered each other? Does that seem outlandish to anyone else? Okay, yes, I'm glad some of you shook your hand. And you may be saying that would never happen in a church. Man, I wish I could say that was true. I wish I could say I've never seen that happen in a church. But uh, at the last place that I served, we had two deacons in a card fight, a card fight, a card game. And the one guy didn't like the way the card game went, so he actually shot and murdered the other man. Deacons. In the church over a card game. Listen, can can we not pretend that there's some type of insanity that happens among the people of God and we live all for ourselves. Just because you wear a coat and tie and show up on Sunday morning doesn't make you clean and righteous. Inside our hearts, there's this festering and it, it does not know any difference between the ages or the genders. It's not a generation thing. It's not that one generation is more selfish than the other, although you might be able to make that case and sometimes. But we're, we're all equally have that same heart issue. But maybe it's not murder. Maybe James is saying your fights are about to head that way. It is so intense and so aggressive and so savage. This is going to turn into murder. Either way, whatever James is saying, the fighting that's fueled by this selfishness and self-absorbed will get mean and nasty and it will lead to pure wickedness. You may have seen it in the church. It may turn to character assassination or emails or coups or whatever it looks like. There's plenty of... Awful things that happen to church. But when someone doesn't get what they want, they will say the meanest, nastiest things to you that they that you can possibly imagine. They will call you every name under the sun. They will they will accuse you and call you selfish and all in the meantime, it's all because they did not get their own way. It's an indictment on this early church. That he's saying there, but it's not just that they'll have intense conflict. I want you to see what else he says here. Look at the end of verse two. It's not that it said you might murder or you're gonna fight and quarrel again that warfare. The end of the verse says this you do not have because you do not ask. What's he saying there? Listen, you you want these things. The reason you don't have it is you don't even consider asking God to give you the thing that you want. There's a there's an absolute prayerlessness in this among the self-absorbed follower of Jesus. There is zero prayer. Listen, or if there is prayer, look what he says at the beginning of verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So so here's what what James is saying. Like, listen, if there's this self-absorbed, self-centeredness, there'll be really bad fights. There'll be this this disgruntled nature about you. And there's going to either be a prayerlessness about you or a selfish prayer type about you that you never consider praying. There's never this moment that you are going to literally say, I just want to meet God. There's never this moment of prayer of, that is sourced in deep longing and burning. I just want to, I want to be with him and know him, so I'm, I'm going to go spend time praying, seeking the Father. That type of prayer can be completely absent in a church. Or it's a completely selfish prayers. God, give us bigger buildings. God, give us a better experience. God, give me what I want. And all we do is pray when we want something. So our prayers are all leveraged about me and mine and what I want. It's totally self-absorbed. Listen, church, I believe this is challenging for us. I want you to ask yourself some questions. You read those verses. I want you to ask, are you living a completely self-centered Christian life? And is it producing these fruits in you, this discontent, this malcontent thing that makes you ready to fight when you don't get your way? You're willing to manipulate or argue, do whatever it takes to get the thing that you want for your own self. Or maybe for you, it's flushing yourself out of complete prayerlessness. This is challenging for me because I read that prayerlessness thought. I I had this moment. I've thought about the times when our prayer things didn't go well. And I thought, man, maybe we've made prayer too boring. Maybe it's to been too boring when we get together to pray, or maybe we just haven't communicated enough about the value of prayer, or haven't trained enough about prayer. And then I realize I never asked this question. Maybe we're too wrapped up in ourselves to care about prayer. I, I don't know, church. Let me, let me ask you: Like, are you living your entire life wrapped up in you? That your weeks and days look like I'm totally consumed with my work, and my house my joy and my family and there's no joy that I seek in Jesus I can go days and weeks and months and years and never even pick up the Bible to seek the father and it doesn't even bother me I can show up at a church and never know anyone and all I care about is that they do it the way I wanted it done and it never strikes me that I'm living completely for myself I can walk past unsaved neighbors and coworkers over and 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 over over again and never have a moment that thinks, should I change anything, change anything in my life to be able to represent Jesus and his gospel to them? Because I don't know. I mean, if James is saying this to the first century church, what would he say to us? What would he say to the American church that's had wars over the craziest things? We will fight about the style of music and the color of a pew and the right dress at church. We will fight about everything under God's green earth. And there will never be a moment that we'll be asking the question what does God want for the church? I know what I want. What does he want? There'll never be a moment that it's all about him. There's never or rarely a moment that it's about reaching the lost. There's never moments of longing. Like if we tried to have a prayer meeting, we would, none of us would know what it would look like to pray a passionate prayer of longing to be with him. We would know to pray passionless players. I don't know. I wonder what James would say to us. I wonder if this doesn't hit the mark for us more than we would like it to hit. And it's not that just the church people get off the hook for this. You know pastors run after this all day long. Pastors know. We know. We know what gets people in the door. We know it. i got to do the right events, right performance, right stunts. And hopefully, if I market it just right, because I know how selfish we are, if I play to what you want, I can give it to you. And we will, we will pack out buildings and never ask what God wants. So what does James say about this? What does the Bible say about that type of self-centered living? Well, listen, verse four, he said, here's what I see in verse four is here's what he says the real issue is. Verse four, he says, you adulterous people. <laughs> That word, that's actually a nice way to say what he actually said in the Greek. In the Greek, it's actually the female verse. says, you adulteress, you, you cheating women is basically what he says. There's some tra- counters like, he, there must be a bunch of women who have having affairs in the church. I'm like, no, that's not what he's saying at all. It's obvious. He, the Bible uses all sorts of language about what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. Our, our relationship with God, when we place our trust in Jesus, the Bible refers to us as the bride of Christ, he even says words like you enter into a covenant relationship with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, every time we take communion, when you drink the blood, he has this statement that he says. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You have one other covenant relationship. One's with Jesus and one's with your spouse. He even says that marriage is a picture of Jesus in the church. And so what, Paul, what James is saying in this moment to the self-centered church is he's saying, you're cheating on your love. He's saying, I don't know what this is, but all I know is this, this type of living where it's all about you, that is the same as having spirit committing spiritual adultery on Jesus. That's aggressive language, church. Isn't pretty it up? It actually feels like, okay, now we're getting real serious. What, what did you just say about me? I would never cheat on him. Like, I, I think about the moments when I first got married. Can y'all think back? If you've never been married, you can imagine it with me, right? I remember the first time my wife and I, we after our honeymoon, we got to our apartment. And I remember that first day coming home from work. And you know what my wife did? She cooked dinner. Like, it was it was awesome. Like, I'm not saying that she has to cook dinner every night. That's not, that's not where we're going. But I showed up. I mean, I was bachelor living. I was 32 years old, man. It was not a frozen pizza for me that night. It was a real meal. And my mom hadn't cooked it, and neither had I. Like, dude, my wife, after doing what she did all day long at her job, you know what she thought about? How can I make this awesome meal for my husband? And I remember sitting on the couch that night, And she didn't have to go back to her place. She got to stay with me there. And I thought, this is awesome. I get to be with my wife. I get to wake up and see her right next to me. It was a phenomenal thing that I got to be with her all the time when I wasn't at work. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. One amen. So one person's happily married. Everyone else here is like, that was the worst. I don't have no idea. Like, oh, my goodness. Listen, listen. Well, for me, it was great. But there was this moment where I just, I wanted to be with my wife. When I was at work, I thought about my wife. When I got off work, I did not want to stay late and do more work. I wanted to go home and be with my wife. I cut out all sorts of free time activities. I worked out less because I wanted to be with my wife. I, I mean, I just, it was, re- you can tell that. You need, like, we know. We know that you love your wife. Your belly proves it. Listen, everything in my heart was bent towards being with and knowing and spending time and serving my wife. I didn't do it perfectly. Goodness, I mess up still all the time, but, but there was a heart there that wanted to be with her. And that is exactly what should be happening a, with us with the lover of our soul who pursued us and chased us and died on a cross and shed his blood to buy us from an evil master so we could be with him forever. And it's all about us. It's like the spouse coming home saying, serve me. Huh? You didn't make my house nice enough. You didn't, that's not the way I like the meal. You know I like my roast at 155 degrees exactly. I prefer this paint color. I prefer this music on the radio when I come home. I prefer this setup. I, I want this. It makes me feel better. Me, 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 me. That is spiritual adultery. But there's more. He doesn't see, just say spiritual adultery. Look at else. He says in verse 7, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In case you don't know what enmity is, he's going to explain it to you. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, I'm not just an adulterer. Now, I'm his his enemy. Well, why would James say that? Well, Well, listen, my sinful heart and Satan and the world all have one thing in common. They want to be in charge. And they don't want him to be in charge and on the throne and ruling. My heart doesn't want that. And so when God goes to rule and set up his kingdom, I'm saying, no, I'm in charge here. When he comes to set up shop, he says, here's how things should look. Here's the way I've ordered the world. Here's how I want you to live your life. I say, no, 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 I'm in charge of my life. No, I do what I want. No, I live a life in this way. I'm in charge and my heart is constantly screaming for what I want and ignoring what he wants. When you do that, When you put yourself on charge and you put yourself on the throne, you have made war with the king of the universe. It's war. So how should King Jesus respond to an adulterous people who are at war with him? Kind of curious what he thinks his next words should be. I'm going to destroy you oh, I'm gonna make you pay for this one. I I want you to see the mercy and patience and kindness of our God. He says this, verse five, and it's gonna be confusing, so I'll explain it. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Let me tell you the first thing he says. What he's trying to say, here is like, listen, he says, the Bible says that, and we don't know what verse he's quoting, so I'll let you research that on your own. Be saying, listen, he, here's what we know about God. He put a spirit in you, and he has this longing for you. You know what James does? He doesn't say, how dare you? He's going to smack the living snot out of you for doing this. You need to fix it. He says, don't you know that he put his spirit in you, and he, he longs for you? And he's put in this moment that the way God is responding to people who would be his enemies and people who would be cheating on him, he's saying, I want you. I, I long earnestly for you. My desire is for you. I want you. The call to repentance that James is giving to this church that doesn't do the word, that doesn't care for the poor, that tear each other up with their words, and that's fighting nonstop. The call that he would have to them when he just told them you're committing spiritual adultery, you're enemies of God, that's how you're living right now. His call to repentance is saying he wants you. He he longs jealously over you. He He aches for you. That's shocking love. It it even says this. The very next verse says this. But he gives more grace. Verse 6. He doesn't doesn't just long for you, he wants to give more grace. He's saying, Listen, just come here. He's got more grace than I've got sin. This is unbelievable. Even though I've cheated. Even though I'm at, at war with him and I, I put myself back on the throne, he gives more grace. Man, that is kind of him. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Listen, if you're going to make it all about you, he's going to resist you. But the moment you say it's not about me, man, forgive me, I want you. He embraces you and brings you in and says you're mine. I still want you. I still love you. I've got more grace than you've got sin. And if you will just come to me with humility, I will bring you in. But if you keep making it about you, he's going to actively resist you. So church, what's my call for us today in these verses? There was a lot here. Here's my call. I want you to respond to the grace of Jesus and wrap your lives 100% around him as your savior. And Yours, your king. I want you to, to let him love you. I want you to be in relationship with him. I want you to spend your days thinking about Jesus and walking with Jesus. When it's hard and when it's easy, I want you to be wrapped up in him. I want it to burn in our hearts. No more of this cold-hearted, shallow trash. Don't accept it. We want to be real deal followers of Jesus. And if your heart has grown cold, he gives more grace. Listen, if you're wrapped up in sports and your career and your home and your family, I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm saying it's not about you. You can have all of those things, a good family and a good career and good sports, but it can be all about Jesus. I'm calling you to wrap yourself completely up in him and his mission and his purpose. And he says that he gives more grace and he'll give you joy and he'll give you peace. Listen, he will be with you and that will be more satisfying than everything else that is screaming for mine and yours' attention. So church, will you you run to him today? Will will you wrap yourself around him and his mission and his grace and his mercy or will you continue to make it all about you? Listen, church, let's let's not cheat on him. Let's love him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I just wanna give you a moment right there in your seat. This is a moment of quiet reflection for you. I want you to ask God what he said to you through his word today. Have you been living a completely self-centered life? If so, he says he gives more grace. Been obsessed with other things and had no time for him and no desire for him. Listen, if that's been you, I just want to remind you, he says he gives more grace. Has your love for him waned cold, but it's burned for other things? Listen, if that's you, he gives more grace. you hardened your heart and stood against Him being the King of your life and the lover of your soul. Listen, he, he gives more grace. Listen, but if you've never placed your trust in Him, if you've never said, "No, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. If you never come to that moment where you he paid the entire penalty, and he offers you relationship, not based on works, but based on his work on the cross. If you've never placed your trust in him for real and entered into a covenant relationship with him, he offers you grace to enter into that relationship. If you've never done that, I wanna encourage you there in your seat to ask him to save you and place your trust in him. If you've hardened your heart, repent. but for some of you, you've been walking with him. Your heart has burned, maybe not perfectly, but there's been moments that you felt that flame in there. You have pursued, you may have limped, but you've pursued him. Listen, would you just cry out for more? In a moment, I'm gonna close this time of response but I want you to know if if God did a work in your heart, our pastors and decision counselors will be down front. We'd love to talk to you. We can take you to another room where we can have conversation if you need to do do more business with God. We we don't want to hinder that. But today, let's be a people who are hungrily and passionately pursuing him. Heavenly Father, God, we do ask that you would forgive us for the times we made it about us. God, forgive us for the times we showed up and we cared more about singing our songs and praising you. God, forgive us about the times that we've showed up and we've made it about being with our friends instead of about being with your people. God, forgive us when we've lived on our mission and not on yours. God, we have so much to ask you to forgive us for. But God, we do wanna praise you today. God, we're grateful that you're faithful when we aren't. God, we, we praise you for the fact that you give more grace. Yeah, we're, we're amazed that you long for us. God, I pray we would feel love today. And God, I pray as we leave here today, we would leave here with hearts burning for you. Help us to walk with you, God. Help us to make it all about you and not about us. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.